as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. You know, I think it was last Thursday, Friday, I had seen this story that the U.S. Trade Representative, Catherine Tai, had announced that the U.S. has requested a dispute against uh, Mexico under the USMCA because, well, they've been giving... Uh, I guess you could say advantages to Mexican energy companies and not the U.S. And that's because the U.S. is kind of operating in the in the Mexican sector there. But for more on this, I was thinking, you know, is this a USMCA thing? Is this an energy thing? No, ladies and gentlemen, it is a Tim Snyder thing. Tim Snyder yeah. from Matador Economics joins us now on your 956 drive home. So, so what's the haps? Howdy, boys. How are y'all? We're good. Thank you. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, listen, I, this is, oh, I've got a terrible feedback. Um, the issue we're looking at is this. This is in U.S., this is a, a USMCA thing, but it's also a state um, Mexico issue. Um, the issue that, that really surrounds this is uh, in 2020, I'm going to say October of 2020, the United States sent a request to Mexico for them to honor the, you know, the uh, equally, not only the contribution by Mexican companies, by U.S. and Canadian companies. The problem we're dealing with today is it's U.S. companies that have got a significant investment there. They've also got companies from Spain that are trying to invest in this, and it now includes renewable energy, electric, electricity, um, and natural gas, and the, and the Mexican government decided to change its rules so that Mexico itself, the country, benefits from, from you know, Mexican companies benefit first uh, before they go out and purchase uh, either energy product or any resource or infrastructure that moves energy into Mexico from, like, U.S., Canada, Spain, mm. whoever else it has, happens to be. That's, that's the rub. And so some of the things that they had been talking about, uh, they had been citing Mexico has taken uh, action or inaction, curtailing the ability of private companies to participate effectively, if at all, in Mexico's energy sector, like de delaying, denying, failing to act in applications. There was a five-year extension on this ultra-low sulfur diesel fuel requirement that they wanted to have on all the other companies except Mexican companies. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, that is that's correct. What was that about? That like, how how do you get away with that? Well, you know, he's it, the president of Mexico. <laughs> well, it is the president of Mexico, and he he you know he knows that the United States really doesn't want to support the U.S. Uh, 
um, oil and gas industry, specifically natural gas. But he also knows that, um, you know, the Biden administration is not going to fight anybody over this thing because who's complaining about this is 42 U.S. senators. I, I'm not sure I found that article yet, but I have read other articles on this, many articles on this. But just this last week, there was an art, there was a uh, news story that said that 40, 42 U.S. Republican senators um, had sent a request to President Biden to look into this, and it was promptly ignored because yeah, they're not going to help U.S. oil and gas companies. They're not going to help the Republicans. They're, you know, and having this battle with Mexico, um, you know, the the Mexicans need their energy, but giving a waiver, this five-year waiver on, uh, you know, ULSD, the ultra-low sulfur diesel, um, is is it it just changes the competitiveness of you know what they're trying to do. These big companies, there's a Spanish company and another U.S. company that put some significant uh, infrastructure funding in place in Mexico to help out with this and want to see this ha- want to see this trade become equal. Um, but it doesn't look like there's anything going to come from it because the Biden administration does not want to have that battle. How long, uh, joining us on 710 KURV, is Tim Snyder from Matador Economics, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. Davis Rankin, your question? Uh, my question is is encapsulated in a statement, and that is, uh, under the last president, who is under official investigation for misdeeds, uh, Mm-hmm. The, and the Congress voted to to do something revolutionary to allow foreign companies to participate, to be part owners of oil and gas exploration uh, in Mexico. And, and, I, and I guess that also means to own part of the oil and gas. I'm not sure about that. And, and that was revolutionary because we'd been closed. Everybody had been closed out of uh, participating in that. They got could get hired to do work. But. The big companies like American and the Norwegians, Brazilians, and whoever else want to be part owners, too. And sure. very controversial. They voted it in. AMLO announced at the very beginning, eh, he didn't care for that. This is part of that, isn't it, to favor yeah. Mexico over foreign foreign companies? You know, and, 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 in, and, in, and in fairness, um, I, I kind of see what their gig is. You know, let's take care of our country first. But, you know, let's define a certain percentage that is just for the Mexican uh, corporations that we can make sure we we serve our people first. And then we look at, you know, then we'll look at U.S. and Norwegian and Spain and and whoever else happens to want to come want to come play in this thing. The problem is that funds have already been allocated and and placed into service. And, you know, it's, it's changing. It's, it's kind of one of the things, and you guys are both on my daily commentary. It's, it's once again, we're playing that, that game where we get halfway in and we decide to change the rules in the middle of the game. Nobody plays that game unless you don't like the person you're playing with. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're dealing <laughs> with you. That's you a just, great way to put it. Uh, as a practical yeah. matter, uh, uh, the president of Mexico's got, what, two or a little more than two more years in this term, who knows who's going to follow him, whether they'll follow the same line. Uh, you have to figure one of the problems has been that Mexico doesn't have the expertise, the knowledge to do what so many other companies and countries around the world know how to do. Uh, well, we just wait him out and um, it'll, it'll open up after he leaves. No. 
Well, except for the fact that, you know, when, when, a, when, a, when specifically a U.S. corporation places assets at play, they have a, there's a timeline on those assets because you want to make sure that those assets perform under a certain amount of time. Um, and if there's no performance on it, they either have to be written off or, you know, there's got to be other provisions, maybe additional funds put forward. There's a number of options that you mm-hmm. have here. But, you know, in the more sophisticated, more advanced world, um, these things probably would have been dealt with. But I'm telling you, in our own hemisphere, we've been de- tremendously neglectful in making sure that, that you know, Mexico is, is a, um, gosh, a viable partner to do something like this. The reason why when I was an uh, economist for a, a petroleum company, we just simply couldn't send trucks into Mexico uh, because there were so many other issues once you cross that border, whether you're oh. messed with by a cartel or not, there's other issues at play here. So we have to, there's a, there's a lot that's going yeah. on and this. This is something that can't sit for, for two years. It, it'll, it's going to be very expensive. Also, mm. if, if I may add on to that, what's being cited here is that back in 2013, we invested a lot in helping Mexico with its uh, revamping of the energy sector, right? And so yes, uh, in, in 2018, a lot of these arguments that are coming to light now uh, kind of started and took root in 2018 when they said, yeah, you know what, no, thanks, thanks for the help with the infrastructure, but we're going to go back to uh, oil and gas and we're going to boost all of our companies. And the U.S. was kind of like, hey, what gives? So this has already been going on for long enough, independent of many people, for us to wait two more years would not be advantageous uh, at all. Uh, Tim Snyder from Matador Economics is our guest on your 956 drive home. We're talking about right now the, I guess, how bad How bad would you say it's contested right now between the U.S. and Mexico over energy? Is it is it like we're at each other's throats or is it just like, hey guys, you know, could you guys just tone it down a little bit? How, like on a scale of one to nuclear, are we going on this? It's a two. Um, the problem is that the U.S. senators are complaining about it because the, the, the companies that – and this is mostly really truthfully some renewable companies, the, the solar and wind-type companies that have, have expended some – you know put out some pretty serious dollars, and they're not getting performance on those dollars, and they're going to the U.S. Senate saying, look, we need some help. You need to help protect us. Well, you know, we're still trying to on – the, on the Republican side, we're trying to save – oil and gas on the mexican side they're trying to save oil and gas we have these solutions we can do these things but nobody really wants a fight right now i mean in in that kind of thing biden's not uh, you know biden's got to remember where mexico is i'm not sure he's been to the border since he's been president of the united states um (laughs) and over north not he didn't care he he thinks that's fine we'll just if the the americans are gonna be that stupid then we're just gonna let them be that stupid and and sadly i think that's one of these issues how are we doing with uh, oil and gas right now while we uh, turn our t- attention away from Mexico and, and talk about gas prices for a second? How, how are things you know, right now? A couple of things, guys. The, first of all, let me just tell you that tomorrow's going to be a big day, and so is, when, so is Thursday. Tomorrow we get the, uh, for, uh, the, the uh, FOMC minutes, and we'll see how much the Fed's going to raise interest rates. It's hard for the administration to say that, you know, inflation is not a thing or not a big thing. And the Fed turn around and go, oh, my gosh, we've got interest rates going. We're going to go 75 or 100 basis points. Yeah. Um, those things are counterintuitive to one another. 
The second issue is GDP, and we get a, we get a negative GDP on Thursday morning, then we're going to be looking at this and say, well, that's the second consecutive report of a, a negative GDP uh, in a row, uh, first quarter and second quarter. So we are in a recession, and it's you know it's it the facts are these. We already feel it. We've already begun pulling back from how much we do extracurricular type driving and those kinds of things. Our budgets have changed. Food costs have changed. They don't come down as easy as readily as maybe the gasoline yeah. price might come down. What we're seeing, excuse me, in gasoline prices is the uh, what we call demand destruction. And what we've done is we've killed off a significant portion of that. Uh, we really needed to open up demand back from the, the COVID thing, and, and that's where we are. So prices have slipped back. That should have been anticipated um, almost as readily as we anticipated, and I've been saying it since 2020 in probably February when it first started uh, into the pandemic. When we come out of this thing, we have to be very careful. And so that's when we have the discussion about a V-shaped recovery, and we're back in an inverted V-shape. Uh, right now with gasoline prices, we went way up to 501 a gallon, all the way back down to probably, I don't know, what are you seeing in, in the Valley? Three, in the 330s, maybe? Yeah, 340. Yeah, 340, 350. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's nice to be down at that level, but it's not where we need it to be. We need to be right at or below $3 a barrel or a gallon. And to be comfortable where, and it shows that the economy is stable. The whole key here, gentlemen, is the fact that we must have a stable trade environment. We need to have the economy that's stable, not up and down, not negative, positive, negative, positive, not having falling durable goods, not having, you know, these little spikes that we're seeing in so many different areas. We need stability. When everything is stable, our prices will begin to stabilize in those very uh, elastic or very changeable type commodities like gasoline. Yeah, I got sad at the inflation the other day when I went to a fast food place and I bought a half dozen chicken nuggets and it was a lot more expensive than I remember, that's for sure. <laughs> Tim Snyder, Matador Economics. Go to uh, matadoreconomics.com, sign up for the newsletter from Tim Snyder. Uh, thanks a lot for your time as usual. You. Tim Snyder from Anador Economics joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Attorney General of the Great State of Texas, Ken Paxton, has banned its staff lawyers from speaking at bar events. And I'm not talking about karaoke. Joining us on 710KURV to talk about state bar and other things like that. Uh, Patrick Zvitek from the Texas Tribune. So, so what's the story here, Patrick? 
Yeah, thanks for having me. This is just the, the latest escalation by Paxton against the State Bar of Texas. If you recall, this all started um, with Paxton's lawsuit after the 2020 election, trying to overturn the results in four of those battleground states. Um, obviously, that lawsuit uh, went nowhere. The U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear it, but it, it made um, Paxton uh, nationally known and it endeared him to former President Trump. And you fast forward several months or almost a year after that, and the State Bar of Texas, um, you know, has filed a lawsuit against him alleging professional misconduct in that lawsuit, saying that he basically misrepresented that he had evidence of widespread uh, voter fraud in those those states. And uh, he believes that this lawsuit against him by the State Bar is politically motivated, is political harassment. Um, and this is his latest effort to kind of strike back at the State Bar of Texas over this. Davis Rankin, your question. Political harassment. I'm shocked. Um, do you know if th the attorney general had a, a fraught relationship with the leadership of the Texas State Bar, which all lawyers have to belong to in order to practice law? Do you know if he had a fraught relationship before uh, this January 6th stuff? No, not really. And it's, it's my understanding that the State Bar of Texas, um, you know, tries to be as apolitical as possible and has largely stayed out of headlines in the past. I mean, I've been covering uh, Texas government and politics since 2014. This is really the first time they've ever really emerged as a subject in a, in a political light. And so, um, you know, for them to be at the center of a political firestorm like this, um, you know, is, is pretty uncommon in my experience. Hey, you don't need to defend them. That's um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm poking. Patrick has a good sense of humor. I, I don't, you know, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I would. There's a political angle to this, but um, well, I withdraw that comment. I'm backing out of that comment because okay. Um, let me let me ask this. How, how uh, do they Pat prove Patrick, this? Patrick's you know? VTech from the from the Texas Tribune. Uh, well, I guess Davis's question. Yeah, how do they prove this? But I've got a question after that. All right is the question, how do they prove their claims against him? Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, they're, they're looking at the claims of, of voter fraud or voter irregularities um, that he made in his initial lawsuit on the 2020 election. Um, and they're saying that there was just not evidence um, to back up the claims he was making in the lawsuit. And they're saying that okay. you know, professional misconduct, because when lawyers bring, yeah. um, you know, a, a lawsuit like that, they're expected to include factual and accurate information in their filings. So if, he, if, if for chance he had some facts, he would need to bring those up as a defense for when we'll wait with bated breath. Yeah, that's correct. And I don't know if the lawsuit will get that far. I mean, he's trying to, um, you know, yeah. I, I believe I haven't checked the latest filings in this, but I think he's trying to get it thrown out just on the basis that the state bar of Texas is not in a position to, um, you know, police, legal other people's legal filings like this and that it's maybe a, a free speech okay. issue so he's he's pretty worked up about it though and um you know he previously this year announced you know his office was investigating the state bar of texas over yeah. um, or i'm sorry the state bar of texas foundation over donations that they've received from like immigrant legal immigrant service groups um you know insinuating that they're funding um, illegal immigration um, that was clearly a retaliatory okay. move from this lawsuit as well so 
Um, this is, you know, I think <laughs> taking up a okay. lot of his uh, attention these days. So, in a vacuum, hmm. let's let's pretend that there wasn't political motivation here. In a, in a vacuum, is uh, Ken Paxton able to do what he's doing? Is 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 he able to say just to set as a as a as an office policy? None of my guys can go speak at any events. Period. On the off chance that they go and might run their mouth and say something they're not supposed to. Well, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but the, you know, the, the policy here is um, they can't speak at bar-sponsored events, and they uh, no longer can receive financial assistance from the office of the attorney general to attend those events. Um, you know, he's not banning them from attending those events. He is uh, just trying to further distance um, his office um, from formal participation um, and indirect funding uh, of those events. So, um, you know, there, there may be someone who has some constitutional concerns about this, um, but yeah, I haven't I heard anything yet, and I haven't heard any, you know, real backlash to this policy. That's, that's interesting, too, that they're not even going to give them the money to, to, to go or, or compensation, or, or what was it that you had mentioned? I just can't talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they said they can't they can't go and speak at the event, you know, like appear on a panel or deliver a speech. And then also the office will no longer pay for, you know, its employees to attend these events. So pay for things like travel costs or, or lodging costs at like, you know, conferences or panel discussions related to this. They got to buy their own drinks at the bar. Uh, right. Th- yeah. I, I noticed you quoted the the, uh, the Valley's own candidate uh, opposing Paxton in the Democratic primary, it's um, Rochelle Garza. Um, she says he's being sued for his lies and attempts to overturn the 2020 election. So now he's trying to muzzle state employees to avoid accountability. He deserves to be disbarred. So she's taking it a little further. Right, exactly. Right. She's a Democratic nominee against him in the fall. And, um, you know, she and, and, you know, a lot of his critics, um, you know, have you know, ideological differences with Paxton, but, uh, you know, she and a lot of his critics also just have issues with how he's managed the office. Um, And that, you know, that doesn't always make it into TV ads. Um, But, you know, I think that what she's saying there in that tweet speaks to both the ideological differences and then also just the differences that folks have with how he's managed his office. Um, You know, we saw, for example, uh, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, um, you know, he dismissed, or not dismissed, but he said, you know, all employees could, you know, take the rest of the day off and he called yeah. it an office holiday. You know, that obviously rubbed some employees the wrong way um, because they just don't share his politics when it comes to, um, uh, you know, uh, abortion. And so, um, you know, in this race for reelection, uh, obviously there are going to be differences between the candidates on ideology and, and partisan issues, but, um, you know, with Paxton, I think there is a real question. Uh, are there all real differences too when it comes to just management of the office? Hey, Patrick, thanks a lot for your time as usual. Patrick's VTech from you, the Texas Patrick. Tribune joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk.
Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here on the 956 Drive Home, uh, really good listeners to the show know that there's been kind of a running joke between me and Davis about the topic of feral hogs, wild hogs within the state of Texas. It's a topic that I'm like, ah, I don't know if we should talk about. It was like, yeah, we should talk about yeah, it, those wild hogs. It's because Zag doesn't know, and I do know. <laughs> well, I, here in the Valley, Davey, how big of a deal is it? It's a big deal. If, if they're on your land, it's a big deal. And well, I mean, because I'm a city slicker. That's kind of why, you know, that's why I kind of poo-poo the idea. But I know you respect they it. Have it's been a, it's spotted, they've been spotted in metropolitan Houston, and I would be surprised if they hadn't been spotted uh, in Edinburgh. Probably not around the new courthouse that's going up. But there was an interesting story that was brought up in Houston on this very thing, and it happens to involve an HOA. And joining us on 710K, who is it? who is an expert on HOAs is, is, uh, David Rauch. And, uh, what, what's the story here? So what's <laughs> the interaction between the wild hogs and the HOA here? What's, what's going on? What's the story? Well, you know, uh, the unfortunate thing is that they went and hired this trapper and the trapper was all ready to spring the trap on those 25 hogs there at that association but they hadn't gotten permission from the HOA. And, you know, in an HOA, it's run by a, uh, a board of directors, and they enforce the CCNRs, the covenants, conditions, and restrictions, and, you know, they, they rule the roost. And uh, so they should have gone to the board first with their plan and done it together, unfortunately. Davis, your question. Yeah, this sounds hostile, but it's not. What's your issue with uh, with homeowner associations and the the fact that however many people belong, there's only a few people are elected to run it? Yeah, yeah, no, and it's 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 a, it's a mini government, and that's what a lot of people yeah. don't understand. And you know, I have problems with uh, deer where I live. I just spent last weekend putting up fences around the fruit trees. The damn deer were eating all the all the leaves. <laughs> You need to and know some so rednecks with rifles. With, with the pigs, <laughs> pig situation. And, you know, the funny thing is there's a, a saying in the HOA industry that the typical problems with HOAs are pools, pets, and parking. So now you can add another P to that with pigs. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, th- those are the problems. But, but, you know, when you buy into a CCNR, you have to understand that you've got to live under a, a, an additional level of governance. And and so when you buy into a CC, buy into an HOA or a common interest development, you got to look at the CCNRs, you got to look at the reserve study, you got to look at the meeting minutes because there could be some crazy people running that association that are on the board of directors. Now, you know the truth is there's 355,000 HOAs in the U.S. with 75 million people, 
but and 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 the industry group CAI Community Associations Institute does a study every year. Ninety-five percent of those people that live in those associations are happy, but you always got some crazy ones, and uh, you yeah. know that's what you have to watch out for. Why is it that uh, <clears throat> if I own a home, first off, I'm a renter, so I I I sympathize with the plight of the homeowner. I understand a little bit of it, but I don't have any homeowner's experience. So why why is it that if right. something is happening on my property as a as a homeowner, I'm not allowed to, in, in this case, you know, take care of the wild hog situation on my own? Why right. does the That's HOA feel like it needs to step two, in? In an association, there's two types of property. One, and this is what they all buy into. One is a separate interest. It's called and that's your home. Everything in the home, the home itself. If it's a condo. It's everything within the wall itself, within the paint. Everything outside of the paint is common area. That's the other type. Common area, that's area, and, and it's like where these pigs were destroying some of this property, was called the common area. That common area is governed by the HOA because it's owned in common by all of the homeowners in that association. That's the problem. And, uh, is that why you hear those so, stories about the, the, like, I can't paint my house a certain color and yeah, I can't wave, like, flags exactly. and stuff? Exactly. Because, again, when you, when you buy into, a, into an HOA, you have to read those CCNRs because in those CCNRs are a lot of rules and regulations. And uh, you have to know what you're getting into um, before you buy into an association. But, again, there, there's a lot, there's more good about um, associations than there is bad. It's just when the bad is is uh, mm-hmm. is exposed in the media, you know, it sounds ridiculous. Like this story here with the feral hogs. Sounds ridiculous that they stopped this trapper from trapping those hogs because that would be a good good solution. David Roke is a expert on HOAs. He's with Protect Building Services at Protect.com, and we're talking about HOAs in general in light of a wild hog yeah. scenario. And so when yep. you have wild wild hog or deer or I forgot what the what what another coyote coyotes coy- yes yes coyote. those when when Big when they problem. come up on your property so the 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 standard operating procedure would be if you wanted to avoid trouble would to be to hit up the HOA first. Uh, if it's a persistent yeah. problem, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's only if it's if the the uh, hogs are in common area. Now, if they're in your home, now you got to talk to the HOA and, or talk Close to the door. And find out if you're restricted in what you can do. In other words, you know, here in California, you know, I'd like to shoot some of these deers, but you can't shoot a deer. Um, people Why can't you? Insane, and there's laws against it. So oh. you've got to follow the lead of the HOA. I mean, the law would never stop us here in Texas, but uh, Davis Rankin, your question. (laughs) Well, no, no, something else comes up. Uh, As as I said, they have spotted large, let me back up, feral hogs are domestic pigs, which have been, they've been let loose and they live wild and they get to where they don't look like domestic pigs. They can attack, they can kill you, they can eat you. Uh, Typically, they're going to run from you um, and they are an enormous financial drain because they they are so destructive however like if you found one within the city limits of mcallen or houston you can't shoot them because you can't discharge a firearm within the city limits or if you discharge you got to run and hide so um 
but they're they're all they're already being seen in kind of suburban Houston. So they they yep. can be very aggressive. So this is a coming problem, is what I'm trying to say. I I believe it to be right. And I but think do right. people really buy? Do people really buy a place with a homeowners association and they do not familiarize themselves with the rules and regs? Are you telling me they don't do that? A lot of times they they just glance at the covenants, yeah. conditions, and restrictions. They just glance at They never ask for the meeting minutes usually because in the meeting minutes, it's where you see what the association's issues are. You know, there's all these issues that are brought up in, in, the, in the monthly or quarterly board meetings. Yeah. But uh, going back to what you were saying earlier, yeah, these, these feral pigs carry parasites and they're mingling with, you know, dogs and cats and cattle. And, yeah. you know, so they're, they're, they're really a pest. And I think it transcends the HOA. I think it's actually, and it might not even be just a state problem. It could be a, a national problem, that these, these pigs. So something needs to be done about it, but, but you've got to bring it to the, to the legislature, I think. What if, and this is one of those illegal slash immoral life pro tip things, <laughs> and this is purely just, you Listener, know, spitballing. Don't do what he says. And, don't do it. Don't do it. What if somebody had made this the problem of the head of their local HOA and, you know, found some way to, I don't know, lure all the pigs onto their property <laughs> and make this their problem instead? Oh. So you they can do saying? whatever they no. no, again, every HOA is different. Every board of directors is different. If you can go to your board of directors and say, convince them, hey, you know, these feral hogs, they could be very tasty. Let's, let's capture a few of them and have a, have a luau. You know, we'll eat them. Uh, or let's trap them and take them somewhere, wherever the trappers take them. But, but, that's, but that's the point is you have to do, you have to come up with a solution to this problem with the HOA board of directors because they're in charge of the common area. If what, you, what, legal, what legal options yeah. do you have if, if uh, in this case, like they tear up your, your land, your property, your, you have to foot the bill for repairing yep. it? Yep. Are you able yep. to uh, yep. retaliate against the HOA? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and here, here's where you really run into trouble because, you know, a lot of homeowners, they have issues with their HOA and they, and, they, and they sue. You know, they bring litigation. But what they don't realize is that the association almost always has an attorney on retainer, uh, general counsel, and those attorneys are, you know, good attorneys. And so they protect the association. Uh, they, they're there for the HOA. They're not actually there for the board of directors or any individual. They, they're the general counsel to the HOA itself. And, uh, and so, and you've got to remember that the HOA has a, has a, no f problems with funds. Every month they've got plenty of money in the monthly uh, assessments to pay for litigation. So you've got to be careful litigating against an HOA because they have deep pockets. This this uh, brings up the question: If 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 you do decide to go to court against the homeowner association, ignorance of what it says, or I assume also it's perhaps at some point ignorance of their uh, long settled manner and method of operation. In fact, you don't know about it; it's your problem. So I would think you wouldn't have a leg to stand on in court. Yeah, I mean, judges normally follow the law. 
they don't really care about people's personal problems or problems with pigs. They, they usually always follow the law. And, uh, and you know, the HOA attorneys, they, they, uh, they're very, they're very, uh, you know, they're organized. Yeah. (laughs) Just say that. Yeah. You're at a disadvantage. You don't want to go against an HOA attorney is what I'm saying. And we're, the, and we're short. We're short on time, but I just wanted to throw out another hypothetical. So, if you were to lead the hogs inside of the house, you could do whatever you wanted with them, <laughs> Golly right? Golly, sack! <laughs> Probably uh, poop all over the inside of your house. What are you talking about? Probably, you said well, you said it, we probably could. Yeah, I, I, I get. I don't. I have no answer, but uh, I wouldn't <laughs> let those things in my house. That's a polite way of saying he's never got that question before. Like if, like if I built no. a shed, you know, and and if I use the shed as a makeshift trap, I mean, the I'm just, throwing, yeah. I, I honestly don't know. Like I'm half joking, half I'm serious or, about it. Yeah, or you can do what I did as a kid, and you you dig this big pit out, and you cover it with bushes, and you're waiting for some other kid to walk along and fall into it. Yeah, I think yeah. that that wouldn't go over very well with the HOA. <laughs> well, thank you. That was very enlightening. I we appreciate your time. Very, uh, very David good. David Rogue is an expert on HOAs. Uh, he's from Protech.com. This is News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. Still lots more ahead your way coming up after this. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We're well, now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Recently, we've had a lot of questions concerning the, the state of teachers and where their morale is right now because they've been, they've been going through a lot of challenges recently. And to talk about some of those, we head to the president of the Texas Federation of Teachers, Zef Capo, joining us today. So I guess at, at the top of the list, what are, what are some of the, I guess, the big three things that uh, teachers would like addressed by the state of Texas? Thank you um, for the yes, question. Uh, I think the very top issue that we many people have heard about is the obvious compensation issue. Um, the lack of pay for the level of work and responsibility that they do is certainly in one of those top three. Uh, however, we just uh, finished a study of uh, a focus group of teachers all around the state of Texas where we heard a whole lot about working conditions, about the, the amount of paperwork, the number of kids in classes, um, the, the responsibility put on them, uh, especially during the, the, these times when so many decisions are being made about education but not necessarily being made with the teacher having a voice in those decisions. Those three factors, I think, are really contributing to the loss of professionals that we uh, have had in the classrooms for some years. Davis Rankin, your question? 
twofold question. Uh, what um, local school districts, I, I believe, could raise teacher pay to $100,000 a year, I, I'm guessing. Uh, and there's a split between what the state contributes and what the local school district contributes, and they can't afford $100,000. Um, what, uh, you know, what, what's the pay picture look like with the legislature meeting again next year? And then is it really, I mean, is it like, you know what they're saying? No, they're not going to quit. They're not going to like it. They're going to complain. The teachers complain. They'll come back to work in the fall. We, we right now, uh, we have roughly 10,000 more uh, vacancies or 10,000 less teachers year over year than we did at this same time last year. Uh, wow. So we are definitively seeing teachers either resigning or retiring at much higher rates than they have in the past. Um, you know, as far as the compensation, you're exactly right. Local school districts have a whole lot of sway in that. And that's part of the issue is they need to prioritize their, their professionals. Some of them do, some of them don't. Uh, for example, Brownsville ISD recently uh, gave a $4,000 bump to each of their teachers, which was uh, a move I think that they needed to make considering where they were compared to districts, uh, uh, the rest of the districts in the Rio Grande Valley. But overall in Texas, I think we're either 45th or 47th in the nation in, in teacher pay. Uh, and just to get us to the average, it would take another $7,500 a year to move us to the middle of the pack. And, and teachers know that Texas is uh, one of the top 10 largest economies, not just in the country, but in the world. So it's a matter of prioritizing the funding because you're right. In many ways, it is there, but we can do more with the state legislature. Uh, one of the things that we found with every Texan is 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 that it's going to take a base allotment increase with the way that they've set up school school district funding to be able to uh, make a change for for school districts to be able to make that change because they have they do have other expenses as well, but we need the state and the districts to work together to prioritize this issue. Is Joining it, us on 710 KURB, the president of the Texas Federation of Teachers, Zef Capo, joining us now on your 956 drive home. Uh, some of the school districts have come up with creative ways to, to make up for the money that they can't pay, like the four-day work week. Has that gotten a good response from teachers? There certainly are some, uh, particularly in our rural areas, because one of the major drivers for a lot of our rural school districts is the cost of transportation. So going to a four-day week does allow additional time for teachers as well, uh, either uh, you know the additional time to be able to do things like work on their lesson plans and work on the extra paperwork that districts and the state require of them uh, for sure. So I do think it's helping, uh, but it's primarily driven by other cost factors than, than what's going on with the teacher for a lot of those districts. Saving that gas and saving the cost of transportation is a big driver for rules. Uh, we'll take it. We'll take anything that works because one of the things that we hear time and again is teachers don't necessarily have enough time to do the job that they're doing. Uh, and we can't put more time into the clock, uh, but we, what we can do is reduce the unnecessary time that teachers spend on filling out bureaucratic paperwork. There's a lot of it. Uh, a lot of it that comes in from the state office that probably could be given to someone else. Uh, and if we could do things like that, start, uh, you know, frankly, uh, talking to our teachers like civil professionals 
a little bit of things that don't even cost money will go a long way. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Very um, under underpaid and underappreciated for a lot of the stuff that they do that has nothing to do with teaching. Uh, Davis Rankin, your question? Yeah, I've been struck over the years with the stories teachers have told me about how they're treated by students and by um, by administrators, people above them in the, in the food chain. Um, stuff that never seems to make it into the news so people don't know how bad it is or what, it, what it's like. And I'm, I'm assuming that people who work for the school district, no superintendent's going to go, yeah, these kids are out of control. We just can't figure out how to keep them in line. Man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, he's not going to say that. The board members aren't going to say that, I assume. Um, Am I exaggerating it? Is it really an issue? Or do they know in Austin? Look, it's not an issue, and they know it. Um, There's there's a saying that goes around. Uh, and you'll hear it from a lot of teachers. Uh, teachers are afraid of the principal. Principals are afraid of the superintendent. Superintendents are afraid of the parent. Boy. Parents are afraid of the kids. Kids aren't afraid of anybody. Uh, and you know, there's some truth to that. That is part of the issue. Is is we're we're losing um, some of the ground on some of the basic disciplinary issues, on some of the respect issues uh, that we should have for one another. And, and parents and teachers really have to work together on these, on these issues. Teachers need to, it's all school employees need to teach our kids, treat our kids, right? Um, we need to model respect because respect is not given until it's earned. It works both ways as well too, but we have a job to do as adults, all adults in society to make sure that kids know the right way. What's the difference between right and wrong, how you act in person, how you act with your colleagues, how you act with adults as well, too. And I'm not saying that you, um, you know, that, that kids should be subservient simply because people are adults. Uh, but there's certainly a great deal of behavioral issues where teachers feel like they're all alone. They can't reach yeah. parents at home uh, when they try to call or impose some type of uh, discipline in the classroom. If you write kids up too much, the principal wants to turn around and say, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you control the kids in your classroom? But then you get 10 or 12 extra kids because the uh, teacher on your grade level is out and they don't have substitutes or don't want to pay for substitutes. It really puts teachers in a bind in the catch 22. And that starts to add up. That starts chipping away at their, uh, at their, at their ability to want to stay. And whereas, again, pay is not the factor, um, and I hate to use this uh, phrase with education because it's really hard to, you've heard people will say they get the golden handcuffs and they've got to stay in jobs where they're not yeah. paid as well or they're not right to, to keep their paycheck coming. Well, there's a certain level of that in education, and the issue is is we've gotten to that point where it's not enough to put up with stuff that they have to put up with. Uh. What if there was uh, like an increase in teachers' assistance or some some uh, some job role between administration and the teachers that could handle this secretarial stuff? Or is a lot of the a lot of these responsibilities should they be administrative um, things and they're just being passed on to teachers? There is definitely a part of that. Part of what many teachers would tell you if they had the opportunity and space to be honest is a lot of reports that they're given. Uh, they really feel like they're justifying someone else's job. We have too many uh, administrative roles that don't 
necessarily teach kids between the teacher and the superintendent. Uh, and, you know, many teachers feel like they spend out, spend paperwork justifying those roles. Uh, what we should be doing is giving more of those people in between the classroom and the district office uh, a set of kids to be able to teach so that we can lower those class sizes. Um, mm-hmm. Make sure that we can share responsibility. Um, provide more teacher assistance. You're, you're hitting on a key there because that's also a, a key part of trying to build the bench of teachers yeah. available to teach in the classroom. Uh, it, most, of our, most of our teachers anymore uh, used to get, have teacher's assistants that were in the room, and we used to get them because school districts would violate the classroom size uh, ratios. In kindergarten through fourth grade, you're only supposed to have 22 uh, kids in the classroom. But the state, CEA, gives out waivers left and right, basically wow. for any school or any school district that asks for them. Uh, so the law becomes meaningless. Um, we used to get teachers' aides whenever uh, those classrooms uh, got received waivers, but they've cut yeah. that out anymore. But, but you're exactly right. Having teacher assistance, having the additional support, that used to be part of how we grew new teachers and helped those teacher assistants get their degree. That's all gone. And that's all contributed to part of this law. I feel like we're really touching on something here and I wish we had more time to talk about it, but Hey, thanks for your time here today. Very eye opening. president of the Texas Federation of Teachers, Zeph Capo joining us on News Talk 710 KURV or 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.